Citizens of the 12 colonies, I am humbled and moved by this great honor. I will be a voice for those who have gone too long unheard by a government that serves only the privileged and the powerful, that turns a blind eye to the needs of the weak and the poor. But Rosalind and her Confederates will no longer be able to ignore us. People of the fleet, look up. The winds of change are blowing. A new era is about to dawn. And welcome to Smoking and Drinking in Space. This is a sci-fi podcast from a couple guys who think they know sci-fi. I'm Jason. And this is Red. And today we are discussing Battlestar Galactica Season 1, Episode 11, Colonial Day. Uh, Yeah, Yeah, we are. (laughs) But first, uh, let's uh, go over some current sci-fi news. Uh, Solo opened this weekend. Have you seen it yet? It's not on DVD, so no. <laughs> yeah, I haven't. I haven't watched it either. I'll probably watch it in the next couple of weeks. It's not. It's not one of my urgent movies to watch this this season. So, um, I'm sure it's plenty enjoyable. It's just it's not one of my priorities. Um, although, on a solo related note, uh, Honest Trailers did a Star Wars spinoff episode to commemorate some of the Disney Star Wars spinoffs that they've been doing. And this covered uh, two of the live action Ewok spinoffs that they did in the 70s, as well as the Christmas special. Oh, God, have you seen that Christmas special? I have. It's awful. Oh, man. <laughs> it is awful. I, I kind of got a craving for women to go more primal. Did I think you all really? women should look more like Wookiees or Bakunis. <laughs> Let those brows grow together. Um, Chewbacca's mom. Woo. Yeah, well, and Chewbacca's dad and his virtual sex machine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, um, what the hell are you doing over there? Spanking. Don't do that. <laughs> No, seriously, what are you grinding on over there? You don't want to know. I'm done. Okay. Something's got to be left a mystery. It's a mystery wrapped in a riddle inside an enigma. <laughs> but no, Honest Trailers uh, did a pretty good send-off on that, so definitely check that out if you haven't watched that yet. Uh, worth your five minutes. Very oh, funny I, stuff. I did come across something. It's not much of an update. It's about... Oh, I don't know, four months old, five months old. What's that? Um, my favorite, one of my absolute favorite characters on the show passed away January 8th, 2018. Donnelly oh. Rhodes, Doc Cottle. Yeah, Doc Cottle. I, I remember reading about that a while back, yeah. Yeah, died at 80 from cancer. Oh, imagine that. Go figure. Where could that have come from? I mean, I if he smoked know. in real life like he did on the show, Wow. Well, he more than likely had to. Can you imagine all the number of takes they want to do of just like a single scene? Do it from this angle, do it from this angle, do it from that angle, make sure the cigarette's at at least roughly the same length. I mean, damn. I always wondered about that. If you're an actor who doesn't smoke, do they have like 
fake cigarettes that you actually smoke. And even if they are fake, I mean, you're still kind of inhaling that smoke, right? Yeah. That, that can't yeah. be good for it, you. It's, it's actually rough. I did some acting uh, for my grandmother when I was a child, uh, different TV commercials that she produced. And I always hated doing the food commercials because as much as I enjoy eating, mother of God, you just <laughs> never stop. And I also learned when you're doing a uh, Mexican food and you think you're, you're getting excited that you get to pick whatever dish you want to eat for the commercial, don't pick anything with sour cream. At the time, number one, I didn't realize that sour cream kind of gets more of the sour and less of the cream after it's under hot lights in a TV studio for a while. Oh, I bet. Secondly, you get seven or eight of these dishes that you got to keep going through. And thirdly, didn't realize I was lactose intolerant at the time. Oh. So, yeah, the, the sour cream uh, on the enchil- chicken enchiladas was uh, something else. Ooh, I can imagine. But, yeah, that's one of the things I learned in acting the short little bit of time that I did it was, um, yeah, when it's on visual, everything, you know, for continuity, you want to make sure that, the cigarette is at the same burn length or the food looks about the same. I mean, suddenly, you know, they go to a different camera angle and Adama's finished two thirds of his meal. Right. I mean, that's just, that's not right. So, yeah, it really isn't. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. I imagine he had to smoke all the time. Yeah. And I mean, I guess if you're a, if you're an actual smoker, that wouldn't be so bad, but for those, that those actors and actresses that, that don't smoke, um. Yeah. Do they have like non-tobacco cigarettes that like simulate smoking, or they might have some cabbage? Those were popular back in the '60s and '70s. Cabbage. Yeah. Gross. Yeah, that's what a lot of the smokers thought. Wow. Ugh. All right. Anything else before we hit the pod crawl? No, no. I'm ready. Let's do it. Let's do the pod crawl. We can call it, I don't know, say a pod crawl. The pod crawl. Pod crawl. Pod crawl. Pod crawl. Excellent. Insert it deep. Pod crawl. Kind of like a space suppository full of information. Welcome to the Colonial Gang, a journalism podcast from three spin doctors who think they know journalism. <laughs> Low Rent Leon, the professional, packs for a quick trip. Derek throws his hat into the political ring. Baltar is playing with his Jello shot set when Starbuck asks him to be her plus one to the Colonial Day event as Imaginary Six gets jealous. Baltar is voluntold to be a delicate for Caprica. Apollo basks in the sun and Starbuck sprays him with her hose. OG Apollo plays the glad hand with Ty and Rosalind. Imaginary Six wakes up Baltar and teases out his inner creep as a reporter does her Sharon Stone and Basic Instinct impersonation. Immediately after, Baltar has a small heart attack from too much self-love. Rosalind recruits Wally to continue to clean up the fleet as a vice president. Low-rent Leon the Professional shows his lack of situational awareness as Apollo gets the shit kicked out of him. There's another wet episode of As the Caprica Turns. New Apollo threatens OG Apollo, promising hot, gratuitous Apollo on Apollo action. New Apollo sees assassins in all the shadows. Rosalind puts her politics pants on and does what politicians do best. Screw the people who helped them out but are no longer useful. Gaius is voted vice president and is rewarded with a big band gala straight from the progressive era. Gaius talks to himself as women swoon for some reason and Starbuck picks Apollo's jaw up off the floor. 
Garrett congratulates Rosalind and cuts a rug with Adama. Hilo has an epiphany and roll credits. Yeah, epiphany. <laughs> it's a light way to put that, yeah? It's an epiphany. Uh, sudden uh, realization that uh, he's been played this entire time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't like this episode. Not enough pew-pew for you? No, it wasn't even the pew-pew factor. So what did you not like about it? Well, it's, you and I have long stood opposite one another on the general disposition of humanity. I think this political nonsense is a bunch of bullshit. I think the way they're trying to appeal to people to keep them happy is a waste of fucking time and resources. And I think the very fact that the Cylons are pursuing it as well is showing that they're not going to make it either. Well, so, yes, we, we, we do kind of not see eye to eye on this issue. Um, they get food, they get water, they get protection. Shut the hell up and let the fleet protect you until we get to a place you can go do that nonsense planet side. Well, but you still need protection whenever you hit planet side, right? And the Cylon threat's not necessarily diminished once you find your planet, right? So no. who's to say that they decide, well, we still need to protect you, so we're still going to keep you under our thumb, even though, you know, we've, we promised you once we found a planet that you would be able to have your, your democratic society. Life's I mean, a bitch. They can revolt and rise up. If they win, they're in charge. If they lose, fuck them. But why not do that from the beginning? Why avoid the revolt and just continue your democratic society that you've already established just modify it as I needed. I have long stated that I, I have total understanding of why they're doing it. I just don't think they're far enough away from the threat to begin enjoying the fruits of a free and democratic society. There's a time and a place for democracy, and I don't think an escaping fleet with a bunch of Cylons after you is the time or place to do it. And see, I don't, I don't think that is correct. I think okay. that... There you go. I don't think that there's there's any time or place for an autocracy. Oh, no, 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 no. No autocracy. It's a dictatorship. Same difference. Eh, they're, they're similar. But yeah, that's, that's what I think. I think right now they should be under EWO, emergency war orders. And until the threat is perceivably eliminated, they will continue to operate under EWO. And if a bunch of humans don't like that, then they can take their ship and go elsewhere. And they can even have an election while they're doing it. Right before they jump, they can put their ballots in the box. <laughs> I mean, even in our current society, there's a provision for war powers and sure. martial law. Sure. But those still have humongous restrictions placed upon them upon the time and circumstances in which those can be enacted. Sure. We're not even a year out. They have virtually no infrastructure. Right. They and really, they just, this is much, oh my God, they're, they're just asking for trouble. It's like, it's like trying to, to, I don't know, Maybe if I grip my teeth enough, I can filter out the contagion in the water I'm drinking. It's just, don't drink the water. You know, it's, it's just, it's dangerous right now. And then look what they did. They, I don't know what they think about, how long does it take to become a colonial warrior anyway? An actual Viper pilot. Apparently, not only are they capable of flying the most advanced 
airframes in the fleet, but they're expert interrogators for alien life forms, and now they can be placed in charge of security. Right, right. What about, <laughs> don't we have Marines? Don't we have a colonel in the fleet? Aren't there colonial Marines? I mean, yeah, the, there are. They're the dudes in the black jumpsuits. People better than than airframes. I mean, I've got friends that are that are pilots in the military, both uh, large aircraft and fighter interceptors. And I got friends that were boots on the ground. And I would not ask one to do the other's job. No, I agree. I mean, the whole reason that they had Apollo and Starbuck doing those roles was simply they're because they're Starbuck. the stars of the show, and they wanted them to have screen time. Yeah, sure. Yeah, it, so, some things you have to kind of suspend belief. Oh so. yes, and then the way everybody gets so outraged at the possibility that Rosalind is thinking for the better good, the greater good of the fleet. Why? So I think we've seen a drastic change in in Rosalind in the in the past few episodes. I mean, she's she's really gone. She's becoming more rational. I. I don't know about rational. I think she was perfectly <laughs> rational before. So I don't think that becoming more rational is is how I would describe her change. Bring on the hallucinogens. Right. No. Let her I think, see some more snakes. I seriously think that uh, she's really taking this whole political career to heart and is is learning how to play the game, maybe not for the betterment. She's of, touching her inner Adama. He's touching She's her touching inner something. Inner Adama. Yeah. With see, one of those snakes. I don't see Adama as a politician so much as he is just a, a, a hardcore military leader. Right. He's, he's, he's very pragmatic in his decision making. And that's why I wouldn't have a problem with him being in charge of this dictatorship. Because he has no interest in it. He just wants to get the job done, and as soon as the job's done, he will lay down the mantle of authority gladly. And again, he may be the exception to the rule, but I'm telling you, people in power do not give up that power willingly. There Solon are, there, did. There are a few. Who? Solon. Oh, no. Ancient Greece. Yes. 3,400 years ago, there was a guy. Yes, I understand. There are exceptions to the rule, and maybe <laughs> Apollo is that exception to the Every rule. Every third millennia. <laughs> right. But for the most part, in general, people <laughs> in power do not give up that power willingly. And that's why you don't want them doing these elections, because they're just going to muck up the works. No, that's exactly why you want to do the elections, is uh, because that is a peaceful transition of power. Well, it's a it's a nonviolent transition of power, but you could just be getting one corrupt guy for another corrupt guy. You could, but it's the people that elected that corrupt guy. I mean, Zarek's not exactly a precious moments doll. No, he's not. I I will agree. I mean, it's you're you're, but that's who the people want. And if that's who the people elect, then it's on them. But well, it's on those of us that would want to stay with Adama, too. It's Adama's not running. It's not just on them. Adama's the one. All you have to do is convince the people to vote your way. That's why yes. we have elections. Yes. Now, I'm, I'm not saying cats. I'm not saying it's a perfect system. It is far <sighs> from perfect. 
Just look at our current political environment. Don't get me started. But <laughs> it is the best system out there. This or is as, true, Chuck. Or as, Churchill, with you. or as Churchill would say, it's the worst form of government except for all the others. All the others, yes. Yes. He was half American, though. Wow. Can't fault him for that. That's true. Can't remember if his mom or his dad was American. One of the two. He was just a half-breed limey. So, uh, there were a couple of issues that I had with the, the, the show. Some sloppy editing. Um, did you notice whenever they tackled um, Low Rentley on The Professional that <laughs> yeah. the initial uh, pistol that fell out of his briefcase had a suppressor? And then whenever yeah. Starbuck recovered it and pointed it at him, it was suppressorless? Well, yeah. And then she doesn't need protection. She goes all natural. Right. But it was the same pistol that fell out of his briefcase. It was. And so my question was, were there two pistols in that briefcase or? No, they had that long intro scene at the beginning where he's getting his tools ready. That's what I thought. And I didn't see him put in a second pistol. He did have two clips, though. He did. He was uh, planning on expending some major ordnance, I guess. I don't know. But. Mm -hmm. But the funny thing is, is when they were interrogating him and uh, Apollo pulled it back out, it had the suppressor back on it. Well, he likes using protection. <laughs> when he pulls it back out, it, the suppressor's on. That's right. You don't want to lose that suppressor. Ooh. But Another yeah, that's, that's my biggest thing. I, and I know that if things went the way I'm talking, there'd be a lot more pew-pew, and you would think a lot less character development. I think there still could be character development. But it's just a different vision. I really but, think it is. But think about it. I mean, you've got your population separated out into the fleet, right? Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. they're not even all on one ship. If you have a revolt in the fleet, I mean, those, those ships themselves are humongous weapons. They may not have armament like the Galactica does, but you point a ship at another ship and hit the throttle, and you're going to destroy some crap. Uh, yeah, but also at the same time, trying to get everybody to allow something like that to happen, I don't think it would be as prevalent as you might think. Plus, you could always space the ships further apart based upon that. You've got a constant air cap going on with the sh ships themselves. They could take out their engines, take out the ships completely. Um, they all got jump drives. They don't have to be in proximity to jump to predestined coordinates. So I think that could be dealt with. That's a lot of dealing with. That's a lot of contingency to, to plan for just so you can have your dictatorship. Not particularly. No? Just issue an order. Don't get any closer to another ship than this, than this particular range without prior permission or you'll be destroyed. Or we'll destroy everybody on there. Yeah. That's enough to keep a lot of people from saying, I'm not going to go along with your idea to ram another ship. Well, but you don't need everybody to go along with the idea. You just need a handful of people. Maybe two or three. You know what they should do? They should hold elections on the ship and come <laughs> up with a leadership and a council and some committees and subcommittees. And maybe they can get also some uh, uh, lobbyists 
on those ships too. Special interest groups. Well, I'm glad you've come around to my way of thinking. There you go. But yeah, I mean, I think it could be manageable. I think it could be doable. I just think that they're trying, and it, it's an admirable approach, it is, to try and have some sense of normalcy within the fleet. Uh, but I just think it's a bit premature for the time that's elapsed since they've left the, the colonies. Because these these people, they're still in a state of shock. And to entrust people with the power of a vote, that's a very powerful thing. The uh, I just, I, I wouldn't but, necessarily want to do that because they're all suffering from PTS. But it's also something that they've already had. So it's it's not a responsibility that they're taking on brand new. It's a responsibility that they're just taking up again. Yeah, but I just don't think they're in the current state of mind to deal with it properly. I mean, you shouldn't drive angry. You shouldn't drive when you're sad. You I don't know. think that's a great I comparison. Think I think it's a good comparison because you're used to operating a motor vehicle. You've got skill sets and muscle memory. But if you're in an angry mood, you're more likely to drive more dangerously. If you're in a sad mood, you're more likely to drive more distracted, more dangerous. So are you saying that we should have suspended elections after, what, the 9-11 incident? Mm. Should we have gone to a dictatorship after that, whenever the, the country was just shocked and appalled? The, well, actually, know, there were some emergency three powers over- that were put into place that did, for several weeks, suspend a lot of our freedoms. As you recall, there wasn't an aircraft in the air, civilian of any sort, only military. Okay. At the time. That was a temporary precaution. To, it was. It was about, what was it, about a month, four weeks? I don't, I don't think it was a month that we didn't have any aircraft activity. I think, I think, I think it, it was, was a, about a month. I think it was shorter before they. That. Do you I think, think it was so? like a week. Uh, but how long has the fleet been out on this? Months. Yeah, well, that's all. How many? Um, I'm not sure how many. I would say probably at least three or four months at this Besides, point. Besides, at the same time, I don't know that 911... I mean, I was just looking at an individual basis. Using 911, we lost a little over 3,000 people. They've lost most of humanity. Okay. So if... Well, suddenly, the cutoff? The, suddenly, if the United States was reduced in population to, say, 100,000 people all in a single area that could be managed. Let's say the state of New York, and there's 100, 150,000 people left. The rest of the United States is dead. I would, I would bet pretty good money that they would not, within 12 months, have a fully operational restoration of our democracy. I, I bet they would have something similar. I bet they would have something resembling it, uh, or maybe, maybe even some stopgap area, and then the people that have their opinions would come forward and speak to the the man in charge, military-wise, offering their suggestions. I'm sure the military would have no problem defaulting, you know, for like sanitation pickup and whatnot being handled by the civilian populace. You're assuming that the military is still together at that point. I mean, a hundred thousand people from. 350 million? Yeah, let's let's say that an aircraft carrier was in port. We'll make that our battle star. Okay. 
And we'll even put an admiral on there. We'll say a fleet admiral is on board. So yeah, I can absolutely see that. There is there is a time and a place. And so, do you I, think that fleet admiral would go into New York and and start dictating the survivors? Sure. I no, I don't see I th- that happening. I think I think he would because they would need. The first thing that the rational people are going to do is want to get as close to authority and security as possible. And his job is to protect and defend the Constitution and the people of the United States of America. Well, at that so point, you could argue that the United States doesn't even exist anymore. Well, we could do that with the fleet, too. All 12 colonies are gone. Yeah, but you have people from all 12 colonies still there. You still got citizens of the United States still there. New York. Yeah. I mean, you may have a scattering of other people from other states that may have been visiting, but sure, it, sure, it would basically be all. New I Yorkers. bet you we could find in New York. There's lots of people on vacay. I bet you we could find people from all over the world, not just America. Well, Somewhere there's somebody from Utah. You didn't even York. say the world was affected. This is we're we're just talking America here. Well, yeah, but I'm just saying if America was hit like that, I'm I'm telling you there are probably there are people all over the world. New York's a nice place. I've heard. I've only seen it from the distance at night. I got as close as New Jersey. Good pizza. <laughs> and not only that, but in your scenario, the rest of the world apparently is is still around. So I can. I can see Canada trying to come down and invade, Don't and then the start rest of then maple sluggins. Oh God, those guys are the bane of existence. <laughs> Canadians from Canada. Oh my God, they're just waiting. They're just waiting. Speaking of Canada, um, I was doing some research on the episode, um, and this episode was actually filmed. Or part, most a lot of this episode was actually filmed in the University of British Columbia. So I was gonna say, man, that British Columbia has got to be one of the most beautiful places on earth. It looks like it. Well, they yes. did the entire Highlander TV series there. Uh, the Stargate television series, the original Stargate TV series, was filmed there. A lot of Stargate Atlantis was filmed there. Very popular film destination. I've been told it's gorgeous. I'm looking forward to visiting. Yeah, and apparently the uh, producer, let me see if I can grab his name here. Um, he was, he, he wanted kind of an outdoor setting for this, this episode. I guess mm-hmm. he's, he had enough of the inside of ships. Sure, and, sure. Uh, you know, Can't as, blame him there. Yeah, and as the Caprica turns, wasn't enough outdoors for him. So that's where he came up with the... Uh, the idea of the Cloud Nine ship. But well, and she was in the original show also. Oh, was she? Yeah. But they used her as, uh, they converted her over to an agricultural ship and used her to grow crops instead of hedges. That makes perfect sense. While you're looking at that, we don't want to have too much dead air. I shall continue my rant. Yes, continue your rant. Um, also in, uh, the show, I'm a little surprised at how slow Hilo is and why he's, I, I'm kind of irritated that he was so shocked. He's, at he's sh- not the brightest candle. At Sharon. I mean, all these places that she's leading him to that are perfectly set up, stocked and ready to go. 
the, the Cylon, I mean, they don't, they never, ever, and I, I'm disappointed by this, but throughout the entire show, they never really get into the capabilities of your standard Centurion. I know for a fact, you've, you've heard of camo netting, right? Yeah. People throw a camo net over something so you can't see it. There are, back in the 80s, they came up with a system that could detect chlorophyll. And so you just take this camera and you're looking across, you know, the the tree line. And suddenly if there's a large bulky object that's not producing any chlorophyll, you might want to shoot that. Right. And so they came up with a deterrent of, here's chlorophyll in a spray bottle. Spray your camo net with it so it can fool that particular camera. The point is, these Cylons, even with all their technology, they're just stuck with standard hearing and sight like a human. Yeah, you would think Cylons have better sensors than just... At least like a Terminator or RoboCop. Right. They should be able to see beyond the visible spectrum and, and he probably hear subacoustic. Never, never once occurred to him. Yeah, so... Hilo's not the brightest bulb, so yeah, it, it it doesn't shock me that his he was flabbergasted whenever you know he realized that Boomer was, was no, one of the humanoid because Cylons. you're not allowed to experience an emotion if you can't spell it. <laughs> That's a good rule of thumb, I suppose. He was just fucked up, dude. No fucking way. Yeah, he's really going to be fucked up whenever uh, he realizes that he put a baby in there. Yeah, well, so are the Cylons. Because they weren't looking to make a baby. They were looking for love. They were trying to see if there was a way to elicit love within one of their own. I was really hoping this is the episode that they would get off that fucking planet and rejoin the fleet so we could have this series finale of As the Caprica Turns. It's coming. I'm sick of the plot line. It's it's coming. It can't come quick enough. Oh, I understand. Believe me. I totally understand. No, so this was... uh, this was executive producer Ronald D. Moore's uh, West Wing Battlestar Galactica edition. That West Wing, yeah, yeah, and um, that was a good show. Yeah he he wanted to he wanted to have an outdoor shot, but he didn't want to do a Planet of the Week type thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so yeah, he made he made Cloud Line or sorry Cloud Nine as the location that could like pro- provide that that tor- type of outdoor experience mm-hmm. yeah they have the same ship model same name in the original series that's that's cool i i like series that you know throw a nod back to the original just like og apollo cool. right but yeah that's that's my big thing you know there's there's just so many problems brought up because of everybody trying to 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 feel that are just getting the job done. Well, people have we emotions. Com- we could compress the entire show into about two seasons. I think. Uh, I think if you know Battlestar Galactica were real, you'd be a Cylon. You think? I think so. I think. Uh, uh, do you think I'd be running around on a planet trying to breed with one of the primates? <laughs> yes. No. 
No, 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 no. I'd want to feel the solar winds on my hull. <laughs> uh, but no, I just... The also, very thing that the Cylons are wanting to eliminate is being exemplified in this episode. Another question I have, speaking of as the Caprica turns, mm. can nobody, can no Cylons actually look up? Uh, uh, yeah, you they, noticed that? Now, even they, the peripheral vision, I would have caught some of that. I know. I, I mean, it's it's not like he was way above them. He was like three feet above them. And he didn't even blend. I know. They didn't even attempt to try and make themselves blend in. I don't think they gave the ability for Cylons to be able to look up past it's, maybe it's a five. It's the same reason why Cylons can only see in here in our normal spectrum. Yeah, those are some serious design flaws that they really should look at. You would think. I mean, seriously, Jason. Jay, maybe, Jason. maybe some of the early Cylon models were so curious as to all the fucking water on Caprica that they used to look up and drown themselves? Maybe. Possibly. But think about it. Let's just say, for instance, that a lot of the doom and gloomers about artificial intelligence are Uh correct. Okay. And suddenly, Osimo is melded with Watson, and he picks up a HK and goes nuts. They commandeer a, a, a Chevy factory down in Texas, and they start making more versions of themselves. And before you know it, we got Decepticons and Autobots and everything going around wiping us out. Okay. Do you think that, that they'd they be able to look up? Yes. One minute not looking up. Do you think <laughs> they would not use different spectrums of sight and sound to detect targets? No. <laughs> I mean, so, if they had the manufacturing ability to make those sensors, then yeah, I mean, more more information is better than less. Even if they didn't have the ability, don't you think they would seek it out? Probably. I mean, they do. Uh, they do have the ability to think and to improve upon each new model, right? Absolutely. So, how long do you think it would take something with the intelligence of a cockroach? To evolve to at least human thought. A month? I don't know. I mean... Just let it go. Just let it go. That's a, that's a really hard question to answer. I don't even think we have the answer to that now. It's, AI is... AI is weird. So I think it was... Um, I think it was Roger Pimrose that... Um, wrote the book The Emperor's New Mind and his conclusion is basically that we will never see AI with uh, human conscious thought we, we won't see AI with a thought process or consciousness like what we experience as humans now why would it want to waste its time well but as humans we have the ability to think creatively we have the ability to think beyond the rational and come up with some ideas. I mean, some of the some of the craziest ideas that we've come up with have led to the technologies that we uh, enjoy today. I don't know that a computer AI would be able to use that creative thinking to come up with ideas like that. 
Possibly so they may not. be they may be limited by their rationality. It's possible. But my position is if it goes as nasty as some of these doom and gloomers are talking about, which I don't think it will. But if it were to go that route, I think it would be a as big a threat as this show makes Cylons out to be, I think the an actual real uh example here, but living breathing Cylon would be terrifying. I mean, I think that's the way that we see the humanoid Cylons, um, the way that we see them break away from their rational computer thought, uh, computer like thoughts and are experiencing uh, human like emotions or human emotions. And I think that's probably the key to how they're able to defeat them. Well, yeah, I mean, we how, give them our weaknesses. How they they're able to exploit our weaknesses and use that creativity to essentially wipe out, almost wipe out the human race. I don't think the the Centurion models in and of themselves, even though they are Cylons and they are artificially intelligent, I don't think they could have gotten as far along as they have without the humanoid models that have basically a different thought process. Well, but you know why they do that. Why? You saw the last year and a half of the series. Yes. You're you're experiencing the first part of it for the first time now, but you've seen the end. But yes, I did see the end. You, you, you did get me in on the end. So, so I do know how it ends, but yes. It's just simply a matter of programming. And, and maybe it is possible for, um, for AI to transcend its code and, and be able to build upon itself and build in that, that creativity that, that we don't even know how it works in our own heads. But that's what the doom and gloomers are afraid of. They had the same thing when electricity was coming around. I mean, you go yeah. back a thousand years with a Zippo lighter, you're a god. Yeah, I mean, any new technology comes along and somebody thinks it's going to be the end of the world but that doesn't necessarily make it so. And I think it's, I think it's an extreme reaction. It is. It is. And that's why I'm not one of the naysayers to AI, but in this show, I'm a naysayer to having this much freedom heaped upon people because we've got suppressors on weapons that are disappearing and reappearing like madness. The next well, thing you're I think see that's is dogs the... and cats living in the same house. Dogs and cats living together, mass hysteria. I know. I think the suppressor disappearing and reappearing is some sort of tear in the causality that we'll have to explore in a later episode. It's a Mandela thing. Uh, yeah, it really is. It's a Mandela. But one more question I got for you. What's this? You know, if Baltar wasn't going to give Zarek his vote, why in the fuck did he second his nomination? I mean, that's the whole catalyst that started off this shitstorm is Baltar or head uh, imaginary six basically told him to second the nomination. Yeah, I think the reason he did it was in part because of his attachment to six. Think so? Every so far, every time she's told him to do something and he said, no, she has fucked him up. Well, I know. So but I think I- part of its conditioning 
The other aspect of it is since since you've established that uh, this is actually his own neurosis speaking to him, um, I think part of him is seeing that adding a new ingredient to the soup is going to make things easier for him and take some attention away from him and what he's doing. So basically what you're saying is his neuroses is much more intelligent than he actually is because he acts like a bumbling boob. He acts like he acts like a criminal. Bumbling boob, uh, I mean, he's a highly intelligent bumbling boob, but even the most intelligent criminal, they lay down the best laid plan, right? One thing goes wrong in that plan, and that's usually where they get caught. He lays everything out, and something comes up like, oh, I don't know, fabricated evidence showing that he's the one bringing down the defenses on uh, Caprica and for the colonies. And everything goes to complete shit, and he has to turn to faith to save him. So I honestly think it's a, it's a, it's a part of his self-preservation that's kicking in, and he's basically... You know, on a subconscious, very Freudian level. I mean, he's probably six is probably his mother if Freud were around. Uh, but uh-huh. the thing is, or even more so, what if it's himself? Ah. Uh. But the point is, I think that on some level in his in his mind, that um, he recognizes that if he can stir the fire a little bit, get the coals turned back up, it'll take more, less. Uh, it'll put less attention on him. If anything, it'll make him more valuable because everybody's going to be looking at a known bad guy as opposed to a possible bad guy. Yeah, I really wish they weren't giving him so much screen time. The character is integral to the series. And of course, were he on my fleet, he'd have already been gone. You know, I don't remember him all that much in the the last part of the series. Oh my God, he was huge. I guess I just blocked him out then too. Yeah, no, he's 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 monstrous. He makes it all the way to the very last episode. Hell, he makes it all the way beyond the last episode. Hey. Well, you remember the very, very end. Oh, I do. God damn it. He was walking down the st- yeah, I remember. Uh-huh. Fuck. Right by Osimo. Yes, yes. So, yeah, he is there all the way through. But, yeah, I mean, it is it is what it is. And the biggest aspect is how humans deal with, you know, the shit. And I'm fine with that, even if they want to do that. But one of my biggest issues is is how they have a certain group of characters. They've got 40-plus thousand people they could draw upon. Thousands of them on the Galactica herself. And they're using inappropriate personnel for inappropriate duties. Oh, right, yeah. Just no. just because they're stars of the show. Yeah, they're stars of the show. I mean, it's... I, I really wish they had brought in actual... They, they really needed a security character. They did. They um, very much so did. They could have taken care of the, the security aspect and the interrogation aspect of mm-hmm. the show. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Or if nothing else, maybe one of the survivors is a retired person from the colonial fleet 
you know, I've been out of service for 20 years, but what did you do? Oh, well, I did uh, wet work for the, for the, I don't know, primary intelligence agency, whatever, after I served 15 years in the fleet. Yeah, that would be fine, too. You know, something like that and bring, bring that and, and make it a female, not a male. Yeah, and more color. This color. This show needs more color. Uh, This show is lily fucking white. I mean, we've Mm. got D, and I'm having a hard time thinking of oh boomer. Um, But that's what it. I mean, even in the original episode, one of the main characters, the second in command on the Galactica, was black. Was black. Colonel Ty. Colonel Ty. And Boomer was black. Right. So, yeah, they, they kind of dropped the ball in that area, I think. Well, yeah, I, I really gave that much thought. Maybe, maybe you could just leave that to a roll of the dice. Galactica was originally Capricorn. Maybe the Capricans are primarily white. I don't know. Yeah, uh, who knows? I never gave it much thought. But... One of the things that I find irritating is, you know, there are some decent people on the planet. Amongst humanity, there are some decent people Mm -hmm. that don't really have skeletons in the closet. They might have a couple of bones, but not necessarily a full skeleton. Right. Could we have a more dysfunctional, fucked up group of people in charge? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I I I mean, I'm not expecting messianic figures to come across. I would lay bets that a lot of the, in fact, the majority of the people that are in charge just right now are all fucked up with skeletons in the closet. Humongous piles of skeletons in their closets. I suppose. So I I think that probably reflects reality a lot more than some other aspects of the show. Yeah, I guess. But... I don't know. This episode did not impress me. It just showed me, it just reaffirmed for me that it's too soon for people to be exercising their their right to vote like everything's fine. Very, very extraordinary beyond understanding of extreme situation and circumstance. And they need to just focus on getting to some a safe harbor somewhere before they start trying to set up a new department of education. And I totally disagree. I think it's great that they're trying to bring back some uh, semblance of normalcy back into the fleet. I think that uh, in in electing their representative government, even though they are being pursued by the Cylons, is a great morale booster for the people as well as a great step forward in setting up the infrastructure and governing that infrastructure that they're going to need to make it to wherever they're going. I think it ought to wait till they get to where they're going. On the Cylon end of it, I think they should have purged the lines of code that made them want to be humans. (laughs) Just get rid of all that shit. Yes. It's nonsense. It is. The virus. Serve the humans. Well, they uh, they escaped. It's literally, in my opinion, it's like you sit and you watch somebody beating their head on a wall to the point of brain damage and death. And then you jump down and decide, you know what? They just weren't hitting it on the right brick. Let me show them. It's just (laughs) stupid. 
Well, somebody in the episode did say that it was just lowbrow rabble rousing. Mm-hmm. With and without a suppressor. With and without. The, the, With the and mis- without. The mystery of the quantum suppressor will so who, may never be solved. Who would you put down as the Lush Award? So my head Lush Award goes to Zarek in this episode. He acted as bartender. Hell yeah, um, he did. To Ty's wife, and you know that she probably had at least two or three more after the scene that we saw. Oh, you know. So, yeah, he's my head lush. And Zarek's been locked up a while. I know. He probably he enjoyed have, he that. He might have shared one with her. He might have well, shared one on her. Well, no, he, some, he made himself one, too. They, they both had some, that. There could have been some body shots. They both had that green ambrosia martini thing. Yes, they did. And your Black Lung Award? My Black Lung Award, since I didn't actually see anybody smoking this episode, goes to Doc Cottle as an honorary award. There you go. That's what I was going to do. In memoriam. Absolutely, Doc Cottle. He's up there puffing away. That's right. I bet you they could have some kind of major accident on the Galactica and all kinds of chemicals and carcinogens are inside one of the you know, we can't get in there to fix it because of the air's toxic. Cottle just goes in there and breathes it all in like Superman. Get in there. Take care of that shit. <laughs> I got a third lung. It's good. <laughs> Who's your player award? Oh, well, I'm going to put that one on Ty's wife. Ty's wife? That's a, yeah. I think that's a good call. I, it's not mine, but it, it was definitely a good call. She did start playing Zarek like a fiddle. Oh, yes, yes. I saw that. And I don't think she had enough in this episode. I mean, if we're going to deal with, you know, the the really true, deep, dark, seven deadly sins, I mean, shit. The bar from Star Trek, you could call her seven. <laughs> Who's yours? So my player award this episode, much to my chagrin, but I have to be fair in, in my awards. Oh, God, here it comes. Is going to Baltar. I knew it. God, as much as I hated to do it, just the simple fact that he is such a dipshit who gets so and many, so much fawning over him. Rock star thing that that Rosalind did introducing him. Oh, I know. I just the music, the party. I mean, Jesus yeah. Christ. Yeah. So, as much as I hate to do it, he he earned it this episode. So. Uh, and I, just, I still I, don't see his thing for Starbucks. I never found her as a hottie. So many of the nerds did. I just don't see it with Starbucks. Yeah, her I don't personality understand that makes everything. I mean, she's not an unattractive actress. I'm not trying to go there at all. It's just her personality just makes her. Ugh. Yeah, I don't. I I don't see that at all. No, I think Katie Sackhoff is is attractive, but oh yeah, very much I, so. But her character, she did a real good job of playing her the way they wanted her to. Yeah, I I could so like that. Like, there's a few other uh, episodes down the road where you know she's in the same uh, locker room with the guys, you know, changing uniforms and whatnot. People say, God, how can you do that? Change? No, believe me. Being around her for just 20 minutes, you could. I don't care what guy you are. I don't care how heterosexual you are. You will be totally able to change clothes, take a big shit in the same room where they're talking to her. She's just a guy. She's just one of the guys. I do not see how they, and, and they do in other episodes, they try and push the sex end of it with her a little bit. Meh. Yeah. Yeah. I think Apollo was shocked 
at how well she said that. Well, she she even admitted that she cleaned up well. So I like. Oh uh, yeah, no, I she, liked his uh, look of surprise and exasperation whenever he first saw her. But yeah, it wouldn't surprise me if that wasn't a little bit more uh, method acting. He may have gotten used to the character doing like that so well that he was a little shocked in <laughs> right. real life. We're not even going to let him see Katie until she comes out for the scene. <laughs> All right. missing was his British accent slipping out a little bit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what the fuck? So next episode is season one, episode 12, Cobal's Last Gleaming, part one. While a flying a... Uh, while flying a supply patrol, Crashdown and Sharon Valeri discover a bountiful planet that can support human life. Indeed, it might be Cobal, the legendary home of the gods. The discovery prompts a Commander Adama to send a ground team to investigate. It also gives new life to President Roslin's belief that she is a tool of destiny and that this discovery, like her rapidly spreading cancer, is part of an ancient prophecy. Roslin is definitely becoming a tool. Um, and I predict that Crash and Sharon or Boomer will find the planet, think it's just a big lifeless rock with nothing living on it, bang on their instrumentation for a little bit, and poof, the planet will transform, terraform into the beautiful lush world that they find. Well, there's that, and also, um, I think we're going to find out that the one factor that's going to get everybody through is faith. It's religion. It's faith. Ah, uh, that's so sweet. Yeah, but hey, it's part of humanity. It is one of the uglier parts, but it is. Because nobody's ever been hurt in the name of faith. No, no. It's all been butterflies and rainbow farts. Exactly. With, with the mind that one of the key differences between the Cylons and the humans, now that we got skin jobs, is it polytheism or monotheism? Right. That's never, ever been a conflict either. Never. But that puts a wrapper on this one. That's a wrapper on this one. So thanks for listening. Our intro and outro music is Welcome Home by Cambo. Pod crawl music is Snack Mix by Machette. If you like the show, please rate us on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and Blueberry. You can leave us feedback at smokinganddrinkinginspace.com or you can email us at smokinganddrinkinginspace at outlook.com. We appreciate you listening. This is Jason. And this has been Red. And we'll talk to you next week. Bye.